campaigns are so cyclical, they're up and down. Yeah. How do we even out the revenue? And it's just looking at what you have to offer. What assets do you have? What things to, to your point about mm -hmm. um, spinoffs? We found out that we had um, incredible data that if we had the right agreements to keep everything legal, um, that we could find ways to monetize that data, use it for other purposes. And that's what's really helped us be successful. And we've done that over and over and over again. I love the fact that you've got to a deeper understanding of how to use the data, how to use the psychology, how to take advantage of the timing of the media cycle. There's so many factors that I don't think traditional businesses either have the time or the background to think of. Mm -hmm. Candidates have taught us that we're really looking at a very short time frame in these days. Mm -hmm. Candidates don't have a lot of time. Businesses don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Things that were popular yesterday aren't going to be popular today. Things that were working two years ago aren't going to work tomorrow. The need is to reinvent faster. You can't mm -hmm. pause and wait for everything to blow apart, then try to fix it. Yeah. It's got to be done proactively. Hey, this is Mike Koenigs. Welcome to another episode of Capability Amplifier. These are my friends, Kurt and Kristen. Say hi. Hey, hey. Hello. All right. Well, this is super exciting because what does it take to get one president, 14 governors, 15 senators, and 88 members of Congress elected? And millions, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in order to win. It's 50% plus one. There is no second place. Now that and a big freaking smart engine that reinvents itself because every campaign is a startup. My guests today are Kurt and Kristen Ludhart. I met them at Tony Robbins' home in Palm Beach. Now they have an amazing hero's journey that began in college. They are consummate entrepreneurs who slept in their car selling fireworks and wound up building an incredibly successful political marketing organization that has raised over half a billion dollars. Now they've traveled over a million and a half miles, many in their car, in 48 states. Now, some of their clients that they've helped get elected included President Trump, which includes a $60 million raise, Ted Cruz with millions raised, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia, Governor Chris Christie, U.S. Senator Rick Scott, U.S. Senator Paul Ricketts, whose family owns the Cubs, and many, many more. Now, their unique ability and superpower is their ability to reinvent faster with an easy to understand framework that they're gonna share with you today and a team they deploy in their clients' businesses. Now their systems can help any B2B business find hidden money, generate MRR, that's monthly recurring revenue, create spin-off companies that sell for quick wins. They've done it themselves, they're gonna talk about how they can do it with you. But they also spin messages and stories that turn around organizations and generate more revenue in a media cycle. So their unique mindsets can be applied to any business, including yours, no matter what industry you're in or what your political leaning is. So <laughs> welcome, Kurt and Kristen. Thank you so much for being here. It's Yay, great to be here, thanks. Mike. So exciting. So first of all, I want to just begin with Kurt. You ripped your pants in front of a president. <laughs> so tell us the story. I did. You know, I, I had the unique privilege of going to the Bush family compound in Kennebunkport, Maine, few years back and get to spend some time with Governor Jeb Bush, uh, George P. Bush, his son, who is mm -hmm. land commissioner in Texas, and of course, president, former president, George H.W. Bush and his wife, Barbara. Very excited about it because that's the very first election I ever really got to vote in, although it was a student election at the time. But yeah. so I, I remember that. I was excited about a chance to meet them. And we were actually 
doing something outdoors. We were meeting outdoors and uh, they had positioned themselves on the porch mm-hmm. of the of Jeb Bush's little cabin there on the in the Bush family compound there. And we did the whole grip and grin thing. We have a great picture with the two of us and George H.W. and Barbara. And as everybody got done with the grip and grin, they were all by themselves. Mm-hmm. So this guy Opportunity. thought, I'm going to start a conversation, <laughs> get some real FaceTime, and I'm going to get right up in their face. I have this plan. I'm going to ask H.W. about the, the land because the family's owned it for 150 plus years. Took a big step up on the porch, and right when I did it, you get that feeling <laughs> when you know it's like a little spot. Yeah, something has happened, but you don't know. You know, it's kind of like you can't really look and find out. <laughs> like, did I? You know, how exposed am I? Yeah, because then everybody will know. Hello, ladies. And so, yes, I I just remember the piercing blue eyes of the former first lady looking at me and thinking, well. The only thing I can do is just start talking and hope nobody notices. <laughs> yeah. But I did escape it. I had to kind of jump backwards off the porch and immediately find my way out of view. But it's wonderful. Sometimes you meet your your uh, your idols and bust your pants right in front of them. Yeah. yeah. So did you know what was going on at the time, Kristen? Do you, do you have any not. idea at all? Okay. I did not. I just remember him coming to me afterwards and uh, having me check. Uh, <laughs> you can't see anything you can't uh, you're good you're good yeah yeah oh, that's but he great. was very worried and he, oh, that's he, funny. he thought that the former first lady noticed mm-hmm. but i don't think i still think she did i don't I, think she, she, did. she had a look on her face oh like, that's great i love it i love it so um one of the things that we're gonna do today just to give away the big prize is um you guys have built this brilliant uh reinvent faster system that and we've been working on this for days now um and what I've really enjoyed is just deconstructing how you've been able to look at all these political campaigns and businesses, businesses you've built yourselves. And um, the bottom line is it's a really, really fast way to examine the data. You've got this modularized way of bringing in business units that you think in terms of everything's a startup, mm-hmm. which is really, really smart. And the way you think about it, though, is different than I've ever seen before. That's one of the things I'm super excited about. But um, maybe before we begin, why don't you talk a little bit about your own backstories, like uh, how you met, how you got together and how you started some of your first businesses? Because I think the journey is just as important and it makes sense. Like it makes everything that you do and have done since then make sense. So take it away. Yeah. Yeah. So I was that kind of nerdy high school kid who brought a briefcase to to uh, high school. I find that very yeah. hard to believe, very hard to believe so far. All right. And I wanted to be president. And now it's just appropriate. Yeah, yeah. He's finally grown find, into it. Yeah, I've grown into it. See, now you, you, know, you can lean into your character <laughs> once you have some successes yeah. under your belt. Otherwise, you're just the weird kid. Yeah. So um, I think I know what I, that yeah. feels like. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to be, I was going to be president. That was my goal. Yeah. Uh, and eventually morphed a little bit into maybe I'd want to run a presidential campaign. And got very involved in politics in um, college, which is how we met. Mm-hmm. We met in the College Republican Club. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was also enthusiastic about uh, political matters. She spoke passionately about a number of issues in front of our group. Yep, yep. And we um, absolutely uh, just hit it off. Mm-hmm. And 
developed an interest in being, uh, you know, running campaigns together, working in politics together. Uh, and a few years later, preparing to get married and realized we just, we wanted to do something grand, didn't have the money for it. I don't know about grand, wedding. but maybe just yeah, above grand nothing. By, <laughs> grand by our standards at the time, and wanted to wanted to get married with some uh, wanted to get married with some pizzazz, yep. right? Couldn't afford it. Couldn't mm-hmm. afford it. So we one of our one of the political campaigns and candidates that we had volunteered to help, who has become a mentor over the years, suggested, "Why don't you, since you're getting married in August, make money for your wedding?" By selling fireworks around the 4th of July. He, How patriotic yes. is that? <laughs> Unbelievably patriotic. Yes. And he had a, he had a hookup with a fireworks company that he he had sold his business to who's, who put up these seasonal tents and consigned fireworks, mostly to charities, mm-hmm. as a way to raise money. He said, you could just offer to do it as a kind of for-profit enterprise to make money for your wedding. So we volunteered with the company. Not volunteered. We, we took over three. Mm-hmm. locations mm-hmm. Uh, in in the Indianapolis area where we were living. And that's how we made money for our wedding. We made $9,000 yeah, in two about weeks. Days, yeah. uh, we got our friends uh, to volunteer to sit with us in the tents and, and run the cash registers and do all that. We slept in our car. Like, I yes, imagine you work. paid them really well too, just right? Yeah, exactly. yes. We did zero. <laughs> zero. The best, the my best. Parents, you are such good capitalists. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, my parents came out for a week and helped. We yeah. had to sleep in the tent in the car because that's how you kept people from stealing your fireworks, mm-hmm. uh, which was the first time we ever did that. Uh, but made the nine thousand, and that's how we paid for the wedding, and performed better, I think, for the fireworks company than they felt like the charities had done. So when it came to the following year, which was 2005, after we'd been married for a year, we volunteered to run what we thought would be a larger operation. Mm-hmm. And they suggested, well, if you're going to, if you want to do as much revenue, but from one location, you need to do it in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is much closer in proximity to Jersey, New York City, and fireworks are not legal there. So people drive into Pennsylvania to buy. So you'll do more revenue. We'll set you up with a place in Harleysville, which is just outside of Philly. And so we. What could go wrong? Sounds yeah. simple oh, enough, right? Yeah. 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 Sounds, sounds easy. Yeah. So we prepped yeah. for that. I I went out first. Kristen was going to come later. Uh, but when we got to Harleysville with uh, two other people, there was no tent there. And we were, I was confused. I called the rep for the fireworks company who we never talked to before his name was sam and sam was a pretty cool cat and he said oh no no we've got you uh you're going to be in philadelphia the city of philadelphia instead of harleysville just drive down to the on us one so the corner of us one and welsh there's a kind of a shopping center there and that's where we have you set up so we drove in there slept there that night the next morning they showed up with a big orange Schneider semi truck and 14 pallets of fireworks, which I was not expecting. And we start uh, start setting everything up. We have a very angry truck driver because he can't leave until the fireworks are off. There's only three of us to move 14 mm-hmm. pallets of fireworks. No, they did not prepare us at no all. No forklifts, no hand truck. We yes. just yes. Uh, we were expecting a much smaller operation. Uh, but about uh, I don't know towards the evening of that night when we were getting close to yeah. getting the thing emptied. I hear sirens and turn to look and see what's happening. And I notice there is a set of 
police SUVs rolling into the parking lot with police officers and what they're, I don't know what you would call it, riot gear? Uh-huh. Police, Machine guns, fire, boots. Yeah, fire engines. Um, fire trucks, yeah. the whole deal. They rolled everyone out <laughs> yes. just for you, the yes. welcome wagon. Exactly. How patriotic. Yeah. And they come, they approach <laughs> us and they say, uh, it's not legal to sell fireworks in Philadelphia. And the only reason you're not in handcuffs and down to the jail right now is that you weren't trying to hide it yet. We had a big sign on the mm-hmm. tent that said fireworks. And I am not sure what's going on. Sam uh, and I chat again. He comes to visit. Sam is yelling at the police officers. I dare you to put us into prison. This is perfectly legal. What I didn't know was our mentor and friend had worked with the state legislature in Pennsylvania and slipped a change in their state law into a bill that made it so that all fireworks laws in the entire state were standardized. So the city of Philadelphia and the city of Pittsburgh, they couldn't develop their own local ordinances all the fireworks laws were standard. So it legalized fireworks in Philly, but the cops didn't know. Yeah. Neither did the fire department. Somebody forgot to give them the memo. But, <laughs> we, but we, it was that access to our friends what got us there and um, kept us out of jail, <laughs> thankfully. But also the unintended benefit for us was it got all this attention because there was all these police officers, fire trucks. This went on for hours until the situation got resolved. The Local news showed up and filmed kind of what was going on. Multiple stations all went live filming it. I saw the coverage um, later, of course. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, unbelievable because then everybody came and just completely swarmed our tent. And we sold an insane amount of fireworks. So it all was wonderful. So it was $24,000 <laughs> we made in those 10 days. Yep. And it was at that time we thought to ourselves, why are we, why do we have jobs when we can make, that was what I was making at the time. Mm-hmm. at my job for a year yeah, yeah your salary <laughs> right. in a couple of days yeah, right like, yeah. so why am i doing yeah. this yeah we, we don't need to maybe do this. slightly more but it was like this is this yeah is, yeah mm-hmm. uh and that's what really gave us a taste for business yeah so we were looking- and if i remember correctly you said a down payment on your house on top of it right? yeah we did. We, uh, uh-huh. we did that's what we did with the money we put yeah. down payment we bought on our a first house. house yeah yeah no nope. so we uh we got back and we said okay well we could do fireworks in the summer we need to do something in the winter so we hunted around, actually found somebody in your backyard in San mm-hmm. Diego who had a sort of a franchise, more of a license arrangement where we could uh, license their name, the Christmas Light Pros, and sell and install fire install um, Christmas lights. I would like People's fireworks homes. Christmas yeah. lights. Can you do something with that? But yeah. Yes, we should have done that together. Extra pizzazz whenever you need it. Add more value. That's yeah, what yeah. I should have done. So yeah, we started selling Christmas lights in Indy. Yeah. And it we did. We're 80- both afraid of heights too, so I don't yeah. know why we're picking mm-hmm. these things we know nothing about. That's what other people are for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Historically true. Um, we didn't really know much about fireworks, so sure we could sell that. Um, we're scared of heights. We've not, you know. So of course, let's install Christmas lights on people's houses. Yeah, yeah. we did eighty thousand dollars in Christmas lights installation that year. Yep. Uh, and I think it was in year one or year two that we obtained a client. Uh, a guy named Tim Durham who owned, who lived in Indy and owned the uh, rights to the National Lampoons franchise, which, uh, you know, the vague, the uh, Christmas vacation thing with uh, mm-hmm. Chevy Chase is part of that whole deal. And of course, he had the same propensity for lights. And we oh. did it. We, it took eight people seven days to install his lights. He's a great client. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a wonderful <laughs> client. Yeah. Uh, and it became our second entrepreneurial venture. Yep. And what's what's kind of funny is 
the political work, which eventually became our marketing agency and really took off, was just supposed to supplement our seasonal or fun seasonal businesses. We'll just take on a couple of political clients. It's what we used to do for a living. And it'll fill in the gaps because Christmas light stuff really only runs from November to January and fireworks is just June. And in 2007, took our first political client. There you have it. We got our round, yeah. round the clock business. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I learned just when I was, you know, researching you and talking to you initially about this was just how, you know, when you think about it, what really benefited you at the time with the fireworks was, you know, someone had figured out how to write an exception law. You got a lot of media, which taught you a lot about, well, you can take advantage of the media, spin something and produce a great business from that with free um, press and free media. And then on top of it, you've got um, uh, just what connections can do for you to keep you out of trouble. Oh, yes. Yeah. So oh, yes. you've got uh, a tremendous number of things here. So um, what was the connection then between politics though and those things because clearly you had connections besides the fact that you made relationships and you really started understanding politics with your you know being involved actively in college but why don't you just dive into like how quickly did you figure out how to get people elected and what were your big wins so what's the transition point there yeah i mean we um I don't know. We just kind of dove right into it. At the time, a digital marketing for political candidates was kind of new. Uh, campaigns didn't know how to handle that. What's this internet thing? A lot of candidates tend to be 60 plus, and so mm -hmm. they weren't digital natives. They weren't they ain't born. using that newfangled internet. Yeah, no. They aren't uh -huh. e on email. Communications, new media was what it was called. Yep. And uh, we just, that's a new market that's opening up. And if we want to do this for a living and not have to be on a campaign where you lose your job yeah. every so many months, if we want to keep making it a business, we've got to find something that we can do that we can bring that other people don't know how to do. Yep. And guess what? If they don't know how to do it, they won't recognize that we also are just barely learning <laughs> right, right, ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so it made a lot of sense. I yeah. thought we can figure this out. Yeah. yeah. Kristen taught herself to code yeah. and we just kind of figured it out as we went. And the three things together were sort of making us a living, but it just wasn't first couple of years didn't really take off, take off. Mm -hmm. And I remembered as we were talking about this, a conversation that we had in very early 2010 to say, look, we're struggling to pay employees. We had had one nightmare scenario where we only had a couple of employees, but I remember bouncing a payroll check. That was embarrassing. Yeah. And I thought if we can't, make it work this year we've, we've been at this for four years let's go get real jobs at least we'll have money in the bank mm -hmm. we won't be fishing in cushions for pizza money and 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 we can just you know go do what everybody else does but we ended up having a breakout year in 2010 we were going to give it a big well push. we drove everywhere to build relationships to meet clients again saving money by sleeping in the car sometimes mm -hmm. and that hustle really paid off um, yeah. We just hit the road and busted our butts. So it was a real breakout year for us. So for the first time we did millions in revenue, not just a few hundred thousand. We had uh, obtained a bunch of congressional clients, 14 of which won that year. Uh, and we had a couple of higher profile campaigns. We had uh, Scott Brown, who won a U.S. Senate seat that year. And Chris Christie, governor, well, 
Chris Christie was elected governor in late 2009 and Bob McDonald in Virginia in also late 2009. And those big upsets were our clients. And in this business, it's all about what have you done for me lately? Have you mm -hmm. won something big lately? And those were the big ones mm -hmm. uh, right after um, a pretty particularly bad year for Republican candidates. We had a couple of really good elections in nine and 10. And so that really took us from unknowns to people who win races that nobody thought are were winnable. Yeah. And, and then 2012, we were able to do our first presidential campaign and things were really, I mean, we, we never looked back. We've, we went from getting excited when we had our first million dollar years year to having million dollar months to having $8 million months. And it's been a fun business to be in. Yeah. That's extraordinary. And so when did you start raising money too? Because you had, you know, 2016 was massive for you guys. We'll get into that in a second, but the crossover between here you are message making and then literally money making and doing it better, faster, more effectively, but also starting to understand the data. And that kind of leads us to, you know, what you've been able to adapt to not just your own business, but now to other people's businesses as well, which as far as I know, you're the only people I've ever known, which gives you a really unique um, angle, a true category of one offer of being in uh, you know, using all this political knowledge, all this media knowledge, combining with um, thinking about everyone and everything as a startup, lumping it in one place and then finding like, where's the MRR? Because you started spinning off little businesses from within your businesses, some of which you sold, some of which generate to this day, basically what you call mailbox money. Right. So tie this together between the making money, raising money, but also bring it to the presidential, yeah. the big win for you guys. Mm -hmm. You know, campaigns are weird. They, <laughs> you can't really compare them to a business because they are startups and they're startups with a deadline. Most of them are the really only last about a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And they have to go from zero. Nobody knows who they are. They don't have any money to fund any staff or advertising activities to sometimes having 25, 35, 45, 50 million, or if you're running for president, a billion dollars to spend. And so it creates a unique challenge. How do we identify supporters? You can't raise all that money yeah. from yeah. from billionaires because there are limits to what they can give. Yeah, yeah. So it has to come from thousands, tens of thousands, or even millions of people. And so we got good at identifying donors and activating donors for campaigns in really short time frames. We had finding out what moves people, what they're interested in, what speaks to them about the candidate so that we can then tap into that to get them to take action. Yes. Right. But being able to do it literally inside of a news cycle, which can yes. happen in hours or at most a couple of days, which means you got to think fast, respond fast, create these campaigns, create the copy, get more clients, grow your business with better marketing and messaging make more money and get a better life with more freedom of time, money, relationship, and impact. Learn more about our three-day one-on-one done with you reinvention workshop. Visit connecttomike.com to book a conversation with me right now. All right, back to the episode. And like one bad, dumb message movement can destroy a brand. Right. Like this is literally not just the life and death of that political character's career potentially, 
Um, it certainly can lose that election and a lot of people lose their jobs as well. Yeah. So again, I love no thinking pressure. about the mindset. <laughs> uh, right, right. Well, and that's why the wins are big for you guys as well. But also being able to think of every single thing you're doing as a new business yeah. that you can create and spin off, which that's what I really love about you guys is the the notion that when you roll into a business now, and you run your um, AI bot on mm -hmm. the data and have it examine the information and find hidden money right. and repeat money that can be responded to very, very quickly. You can build campaigns that generate information. You can look at and figure out how are we going to spin the news cycle? How are we going to spin information cycles to create massive engagement? And uh, the mindset of how do I win a presidential election with the mindsets and the tools that you built, every business in the world should be talking to you guys right now to use these. Because like I said, I, I haven't ever heard of anyone thinking like you do or doing what you do. Well, that's a huge endorsement. Yeah. Um, what a setup. What a setup. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Where do I write the check yeah, for yeah. that? Um, but I will just say it's something that was so interesting and clear to us. We... We got good at what we did. We really loved it. We yep. got our team on board, which that was a huge learning experience of just learning how to build a good culture yep. of people moving in the right direction because you don't see a lot of that on campaigns, as you might imagine. Um, that's not their first uh, priority. And so once we got that and we got um, into a rhythm, yeah. it's, well, how else can we make money? I mean, uh, campaigns are so cyclical. They're up and down. Yeah. How do we even out the revenue? And it's just looking at what you have to offer. What assets do you have? What things, to, to your point about mm -hmm. um, spinoffs, we found out that we had um, incredible data, that if we had the right agreements to keep everything legal, um, that we could find ways to monetize that data, use it for other purposes. And that's what's really helped us be successful. And we've done that over and over and over again. Different IP, different data um, assets, uh, new ways of looking at what can I sell to the same customer. Yep. It's all the same stuff you know, but we've just yep. had to do it. Yeah. And and maybe again, just to, so we bring this uh, home, uh, what, let's close the loop on the presidential cycle yeah. and the money you raised for President T. So I, I think I want to like put a pin in that and then let's get into your system because part of the promise here is we're going to reveal the system. But again, I think the setup and the story and the mindsets are the most important thing because then everything else falls in place. So uh, who wants to take that one? Oh, go for it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, for for President Trump in 2016, you had a very unique situation. Somebody who was first to be understood as a political candidate, not previously understood, but is reinventing himself as mm -hmm. a political candidate in some respects. And being able to jump in there and find a way to generate a lot of small dollar contributions for a guy who could write a check, which he had been doing for much of his early campaign, was a mm -hmm. unique challenge. Yeah, we ended up doing about fifty or sixty million of his total raise, which was much higher, all things considered, and learn new ways, more sophisticated ways to find donors uh, and to activate them, and also find people that folks were ignoring that might be interested in giving. Finding mm -hmm. new in in this mm -hmm. respect, it's a, the parallels finding new customers, new people who might want to engage in politics never wanted to engage before. Yeah, Trump. Whatever you think of it, brought a lot of people into the system that were felt left out by previous politicians. And so uh, that was something that was a, a joy to master. And it was everything. Some of it was happened slowly. Some of it happened fast. You know, during the Trump campaign, one of a one of the campaigns we ran uh, generated two point six million dollars in just a few hours. And it was uh, just you're just watching it come in thinking, 
this can't be happening. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah. That's so awesome. It is so awesome. So at some point then, um, you've been at this now for going on two decades and you had this position uh, where you started buying some little businesses of your own. You had spun out some of your own IP mm -hmm. into little businesses and you had this big aha of like, I want to reinvent faster. I want to take what I've been doing. I want to give back on a bigger level. And I think one, one of the conversations we've had is, is like, you know, in politics, you're selling something either a lot of people don't want. It can be super <laughs> polarizing. And you deal with extremely difficult customers at time. I'm saying it, not you. That way you don't get in any <laughs> trouble. But they're, they're, they're complicated personalities who forget you when they've won or they've forgotten you when they've lost, you know, so they, the nature of the business is it's not a loyal business. And one of the things that we really have in common is the fact that we just love America. We love American ideals. We love capitalism. We love the idea of creating jobs and giving back. And we both agree that like a strong, small business environment is a strong America. So, the the movement your next call to adventure to reinvent faster and then evolving that into your toolkit that you had been building and literally if you think about it if if you guys have raised around a half a billion dollars and gotten um governors and congressmen and participated in presidents getting elected who wouldn't want that force behind them in a business environment so What's the system and get us back to the call to adventure that made you say, I got to do it a different way for different people, a different yeah. customer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when it's all said and done, you get into politics because you want to make the world a better place. That's what motivates everybody, no matter yeah. where they come from. And that's what motivated us. And at some point we realized one of the ways we were making the world a better place was we were providing jobs for people, making successful businesses, contributing to the economy it was just as important, maybe even more important than electing your favorite politician. And we wanted to sit and think, how could we help businesses? And what do we do? What do politicians do that are unique, that could be brought to an average, small, medium-sized business to help them thrive? And, uh, and what's helped us thrive you know, over the two decades we've been in business doing this? Mm -hmm. And we really sat down, come up with what I think is a, is a, is a great system that we've operated on sometimes unintentionally right <laughs> and uh and what we can bring and you know we notice that most successful politicians and businesses similarly mm -hmm. are really focused on what are those to start with what are the critical drivers kpis that are truly driving their business today mm -hmm. it's easy for politicians and it's easy for businesses mm -hmm. to get distracted on things that don't really matter Mm -hmm. Vanity metrics, as Vanity say, metrics, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, for a politician, it might be a really sexy television ad that makes them feel good about themselves but isn't really leading to votes. For a business, it might be, I'm so excited I have 40 employees, but employee count doesn't equal to profitability. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So starting with identifying what's really driving your business at the moment, what are those key things, mm -hmm. what's driving your profit, to understand what's working, that helps you understand what's working, what's not, and to spend more time on the things that are working. So that's the first thing we really have learned to focus on and good campaigns understand. Mm -hmm. 
And then the ability to optimize against those drivers is that second uh, priority or, or part of our quadrant we've been working off <laughs> of that are so important for campaigns is it's understanding what the driver, which for a campaign ultimately is votes, what's mm -hmm. actually leading to somebody to vote for me. And are we optimizing for that? Are we talking to the right people? Which means people who might actually consider us, who, uh, as opposed to somebody who wouldn't vote for us under any circumstance or mm -hmm. vice versa, they're already voting for us. Or are, Who's your ideal customer? Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, or who who isn't going to vote at all, which is a big thing. There's a and particularly in a non-presidential year, 40%, sometimes much larger, don't even vote. So why why are we optimizing? We mm -hmm. need to optimize for people who will vote. Do we understand what our message is? We're not off the beaten path talking about things that voters don't care about. What's our message? What's What kind of buzz? Mm -hmm. What kind of engagement are we creating? Yeah. Is that second thing that every politician and every business needs to look at in order to continuously reinvent? Mm -hmm. That leads to a a discussion about your team. Do I have the team that can execute? Well, and I would just add test, test, test. Right, That's right, a key right. part of it too, because sometimes mm -hmm. you think you know, or maybe something has worked in the past, it no longer works. So the whole key about optimizing, you've got to know your numbers, you got to know what those metrics are, and then you've got to constantly be looking at those. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, what I'm getting to just to, and I'm going to restate what you've just been saying, because, you know, your first step is the drivers. That's like you say, versus vanity metrics, but you're looking at, um, and you've got an amazing tool, the the business bot that looks at the data, you feed it in, and you've got the support of AI, um, looking at the money, looking at the control, and those are the core drivers. Then it's optimizing the message, the media channels, but also um, it's about buzz creation. That's right. Mike Koenig's here. Just a quick message before we go back to the program. One of the things that I love about Kurt and Kristen, besides the fact that they're just brilliant, is they put together a really cool tool that's available on their website at reinventfaster.com. It's something they call the Unfair Advantage Optimizer Bot. It's a tool that's using AI that will dig into your business. You'll just simply answer a few questions and you're going to get an amazing detailed report that'll show you how you can take advantage of some of the strategies that we've been discussing in this interview and even more. And what I love about it is we designed something kind of like a McKinsey report plus a magazine output. It is beautiful, it is detailed and customized for you based upon your business. So head on over to reinventfaster.com and now we'll go back to the program. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening. And you had said something that I, I hadn't thought of um, in our prior discussions, Kurt, about you know votes. That's the equivalent in the business world of engagement, but it's the pre-sale even mm -hmm. to, well, for you guys, it's the sale, right? The vote is the sale, but the engagement is how people react and respond to the buzz. But I think it's more nuanced than a traditional business environment. You know, if you, if you think about the granularity of how you've had to think, it's actually more complex in a political environment than it is for us, where it's sort of like, let's generate a sale. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a different transactional mindset. And I, I love the fact that you've got a, a deeper understanding of how to use the data, how to use the psychology, how to take advantage of the timing of the media cycle. There's so many factors that I don't think traditional businesses either have the time or the background to think of, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and all of this is happening while 
you are working with the founders to make sure they're staying focused on the core business. You know, mm -hmm. that's like never lose sight mm -hmm. of the thing that's paying the bills, but there's all sorts of other places that revenue and spin outs and IP can be um, created that can also monetize. Yeah. There's yeah. hidden money. Mm -hmm. yes. There's hidden money. There's that hidden we're money in on every the table business. And we find You're that right. all the time. Yep. And that's just about who can you get to help you find it? You yep. know, we all want to find it. Um, but like you said, we're trying to focus on our core business and and we need help. Yep. Um, and that's what we're excited about doing. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your other two um, beyond the, uh, um, you know, the drivers, the optimization. What are the last two mm -hmm. of the core components here? Yeah, so we you got to have a team that can execute. Mm -hmm. We thought about campaigns. Some campaigns fail for that reason. They, they're startups. They have to hire from scratch. Sometimes hundreds of people, and having the right team is essential. And ha you having mm -hmm. the right team at your business is essential. Do you have the person who can execute? Do they have the right sort of reinvention mindset? Yeah. Do they understand how to think about this? We are we're a startup. We're throwing things together here. Mm -hmm quickly making quick decisions um and so that's a key part of it you can have a great plan a great product you can understand your critical drivers but if your team can't execute it's a problem and then finally i think that's where you really get a chance to step back briefly and look at your innovation opportunities and that's what we have excelled at in our business chris mentioned it before we found opportunities in our our data people who were interacting with our clients we found opportunities in our customer data in the, in the form of other people want to do business with our customers and were and that data was valuable to third parties. We found other products and services we could sell. We were mm -hmm. selling digital products, but we could also sell plain old boring, you know, promotional products to our our clients. And often we're part of their digital advertising campaign. So there's there's hidden money in the data. There's uh, hidden money in your customer list, maybe there's opportunities to sort of see yourself a little bit like a venture fund mm -hmm. where there's what what would my customers really like that I could invest in creating? Mm -hmm. And that's something we've gotten good at. And it has led to not just money coming out of our traditional core business, but also mm -hmm. little spin-offs. Uh, we've we've created and sold a couple. We've we've created and kept a few. And it's been a joint ventures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those those have been powerful. And I think Candidates have taught us that we're really looking at a very short time frame in these days. Mm -hmm. That your business doesn't have candidates don't have a lot of time. Businesses don't have a lot of time. Yeah, a lot of things that were popular yesterday aren't going to be popular today. Things that were working two years ago aren't going to work tomorrow. And the the need is to reinvent faster. You can't mm -hmm. pause and wait for everything to blow apart then try to fix it. Yeah, it's got to be done proactively. And you can't, you're, you're, you've got to be consistently involving, you know, there's, you can run as a president on hope and change, but four years later, you are the incumbent. You can't run on hope and change. Now you got to run on forward if you're president mm -hmm. Obama, mm -hmm. because you have to, you have to reinvent. And that's what businesses need to do too. Yeah. And find these new ways to make money and evolve their business models and eliminate things that aren't working anymore. Yeah. We, we can't be the only people that feel like time's just moving really fast. Right. Technology is changing. Um, consumer behavior is changing. And so you've got to have that mindset of being agile and uh, constantly reinventing and, and looking at your business from fresh eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in your case, you know, that it goes back to 
the cycle. Um, you know, it goes back even after the, you know, from the driver to the optimization, to the team, to the innovation cycle, you go back and do it over and over again. And, and what I agree with you on is approaching your business, respecting the core, right? right? We're never going to cut off our nose despite our face. And yet you've got to be in a position where you're constantly reinventing, creating new little businesses and being willing to let go of the past because, you know, the world is changing right. and you know those who don't evolve become dinosaurs and we know what happened to them right yeah. it's like uh dan sullivan has a great saying is um you know when you quit being useful the universe has a funny way of asking for its parts back <laughs> yeah. and that is it's a brilliant brilliant phrase that i always remember is is like that's why he doesn't believe in retirement mm -hmm. at all at 79 he's going strong and he has you know, he has a hundred year plan and he's yeah. sticking to it. And so, That's um, amazing. yeah, I, I, it's just another one of the many things I love about him so much. So when you, um, when you go through the cycles, I think this is a good time to transition to, why don't you talk a little bit about who you're working with? Like who's your perfect customer, your perfect client? And then what are the, um, you know, who do you work, do who do you work with and who do you don't work with? Okay. That's always a good question because, um, uh, the other thing that we've prepared is a masterclass where you go through some of the specific steps. We've got some more specific case studies that we're going to share, but I think this is a really good time to transition to that, which by the way, um, for you watching or listening, go to reinventfaster.com because that's the uh, website, that's the brand, that's the domain where you can get some extended tools and resources, including the masterclass, a download of their uh, presentation, also an onboarding so you can kind of see in here what it's like to go through this process. Because again, the mindsets are just part of this, but also seeing the entire business model they put together, it's something you'll be able to apply and think about right now. So who's the right fit? And um, who's not a right fit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we really are passionate because we are a family-owned, owner-operated business. So we like other people. There's something we have about passion we have for other family businesses, owner-operated. Founders. Founders. Mm -hmm. People who are coachable, but also real values-driven, want mm -hmm. to leave a legacy. That's just really attuned with who we are. Um, you know, looking for people who, uh, companies that are doing seven figures, probably 20 plus employees, uh, and have some ambitious, uh, owners that want to reinvent faster, want to, mm -hmm. their businesses to grow and evolve and get better over time. Yeah. And I would say, um, we, we were talking about this, what, what clients or candidates in the past have we not wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. And that was those people that didn't want to do the things that were hard. They wanted to only have somebody else do it for them. Um, they thought if I just hire all the experts, it'll all just uh, be easy. Um, people that um, didn't recognize how hard the task was ahead. They weren't ready to kind of amp up and do what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people that didn't value their team and uh, thought it was all about them. Yeah. And so um, if that sounds like you, that's not who we want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. That's great. Anything else you want to add to that uh, list of knots? <laughs> you know, we just, people who are in it for themselves ultimately 
struggle to succeed in an environment like this. I think you've got to mm-hmm. really have a passion for your customer, for your clients and your employees. And those were the kind of politicians you can spot them in a second. Yeah. That we knew would be a pain to work with. Yeah. And we don't, we feel the same way about business owners. If they're in it for a buck and a buck only, that's uh, not, a, a, our system probably won't work very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, um, it's, I think what I'll do then is is I'll close up this part, but I'm going to give you guys the final words. This will give you a couple moments to think about what you want to say. But I'm going to do the call to action for you here, which is to head on over to Reinvent Faster. That's where you're going to get the free goodies from Kurt and Kristen. Just get to know them better because I've I've had the great opportunity to spend several days with them, gotten to know them, really gotten um, to learn their deeper history, their bigger whys, and they're just good people who are principled. And... Um, I've really, really learned a lot about the the how people get elected through a lens I hadn't looked at before. Um, so you get the reinvent faster guide and video. That's uh, um, um, all the presentation materials, including the masterclass. You're going to get the day in the life implementation videos. So you're going to understand better on what it's like to work with them and what they'll be doing with you. And then an opportunity to schedule a strategy session as well. So all that is at reinventfaster.com. So Kurt and Kristen, it's <laughs> time for your final word. What would you like to say to wrap this up? Well, I'll let you close. You're always so eloquent. But I would just say that um, we're just really excited about helping small businesses. Um, you can't tell or feel our passion. We just we've learned so much mm-hmm. from the political industry. And uh, for me, when he was talking about the team, I just really appreciated or had a new appreciation for the value I can bring as a business owner, as an employer, and how we can support our teams. And uh, to me, that's what really drives it home is is um, everything we wanted to do about getting people elected is one piece of the puzzle. It has its place. But we really have so much control over mm-hmm. making things better for our families, our communities, our country. And a small business is just the heartbeat of America, and we want to help everybody reinvent faster and um, do their. We have so much we can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Kurt, she did such a great job on it. But <laughs> yeah, at some did. point during this process over the last twenty years, we worked for a lot of wonderful people. But you you grow you have a growing appreciation if you work in this industry that there's not a politician who could save us. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, Kia, that's people who are willing to stick their necks out and build great things, employ people, generate economic value. And then we've become increasingly more passionate about that. We think we have a lot that we can bring to the table. I know we have a lot we can bring to the table for small businesses that want to create that kind of value and know they need to be quick, adept, and capable of building new revenue streams and becoming more profitable and changing the world along with us. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, I'll bring this home then. Once again, head on over to reinventfaster.com. And what I'd like to ask of you watching, listening, is if there's something in this that just got you to light up and you can think of one or two people right now who'd be perfect fits to either hear this message or they might be right fits to work with Kurt and Kristen, definitely forward this audio, forward this video, share the podcast with them. Point them over to reinventfaster.com and say, check this out, because like I said, I've gotten to spend great um, days with them really digging deep. And they are right fit people 
who have high integrity, have their hearts in the right places and believe what I believe you believe in. And that's why you're here in the first place. So this is Capability Amplifier. My name is Mike Koenigs. I do this with my very good friend, my mentor, Dan Sullivan. I want to thank you so much for listening and viewing. We'll see you in the next episode soon. Let's say goodbye, shall we? All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. <laughs>